Revelation. Revelation 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass, mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Revelation 16 Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of god the almighty behold i am coming like a thief blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed 
and they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about one hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. There are two teams. Humanity is not divided between red and blue. Humanity is not divided between dark skin and light skin. Humanity is not divided between educated and unschooled. Humanity is divided by those who are on God's side and those who are opposed to God's side. And you are on one side or the other, and depending upon the news that you watch or the people that you visit with, you may feel like you are either winning we're losing. Here is a summary for all of the basic learners. Today's message is meaner, 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 we win. For those who want a little bit more nuanced explanation, right now there are those who stand opposed to God who appear to be winning in many ways. But at the end, I've read the back of the book. And in the back of the book, it says there are those who stand in victory, and there are those who suffer God's wrath. The flow of the book of Revelation has stumped readers and commentators for years. Do all of these sevens happen sequentially? Are there seals and then trumpets and then bowls of wrath? Do they happen concurrently? Is this just three things that are all happening at the same time? As I read the book of Revelation, I read that the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls are layers upon one another. Now, I realize that Years, months, and weeks, and days do not divide up into seven. But I do believe to understand the literature that John has written for us, he wants us to think in terms of the seven seals are like uh, seven years. <coughs> and then after the seven years, during the seventh year, the seven trumpets are like seven months 
within the year. And the seven bowls and the plagues that we read about today are like seven days that happen within the month, within the year. I think chapter 15, verse 1 indicates that what we read in Revelation 15 and 16 is the final wrath of God upon this earth. And when this wrath is complete, there is no more wrath to be poured out. Today's text reveals both the sweetness of victory for one side and the excruciating bitterness of defeat for the other. God intended a humanity where every human being was a winner. He created a world with innocence and blessing where everything was good. But rather than accept this good creation, humanity rebelled and pursued something that they thought was better, which then divided the human race into two teams. Those who cooperate with the plan of God and those who oppose the plan of God. Frequently throughout history, Righteousness or wickedness appears to have the upper hand, but the message of the book of Revelation is that eventually evil loses and Christ is proven victor overall. Amen? As the Spirit of God reveals this final victory to the Apostle John, he shares with us both the winners and the losers in this battle. Before the horrifying events of chapter 16, John tries to entice us to the right side with the beauty of being with the victor. In Revelation chapter 15, I see those who stand with God. They stand because they experience victory. And the victory that is ours, even though they may kill the body, the soul is victorious in the presence of God. And this victorious presence brings, according to verse two, <coughs> victory brings beauty. Imagine with me a sea that is like glass, that is colored red like fire. I think this is like the most beautiful sunset that I could ever imagine. Some of us have seen demonstrations of glass blowing. And there's a unique beauty to that molten glass as the colors are introduced and the shape of the item begins to flow and expand. It is that beautiful flowing of red and pink and orange and yellow that I often see in a sunset in our West. And that is what I envision in verse two. A sea that is like glass with all of those beautiful colors because our victory is a sign of beauty. I also see in verse 3 that our eternal victory 
brings relief. Have you ever played a harp? Not many of us have. I've played the auto harp, but I've never played a harp harp. I've tried to play the guitar, which is in essence a handheld harp. But whether we are talking about a large orchestra harp or a small lyre that would be held by a, an individual, what I've noticed about the harp is both types of harp or guitar require two hands to play the harp. And as I look in the Bible here, I see that those who are standing in front of the beautiful sea of glass in the presence of God are holding the harp with their hands. And as they hold this instrument of praise with both hands, they cannot be holding the weapons of war. They cannot be holding the tools of their effort and of their work. They have exchanged their weapons. They have exchanged their work for the heart of worship before our Almighty God. Now, I realize that economics prompt many churches to designate multi-use space. In our own history, we started with a space on the other side of that wall that served many different purposes. But there came a time when our congregation determined that we wanted a space that was designated for the worship of God, and this room was finished off. Other spaces in our wonderful facility are more suited for activities. Other spaces are more intimate for discipleship. But this space is set apart for worship. It's called a sanctuary. It's a place that has been sanctified or set apart for a purpose. And there are times when it is most appropriate for us to set aside our effort and to rest in the praise of Almighty God. The victory that God had brought for the saints allowed them to lay down their weapons and their tools and to pick up hearts because it is beautiful when our victory gives us voice to praise our mighty God. A person makes a conscious choice to lay down our tools of service, our weapons of conflict, and to pick up our instruments of praise. And our instruments of praise sometimes are musical, sometimes they are mental, sometimes they are spiritual and emotional, but when we come into this place, we intentionally say, now is not the time for learning, now is not the time for serving, now is the time to worship and to celebrate our victory. Imagine with me a hiker with a pair of field glasses in his or her hand. A photographer holding a camera. And in both of those situations, whether the hiker with the field glasses 
or the photographer with the camera, as they move about, they anticipate, they are looking for signs of beauty because they are eager to capture the beauty on their camera or their field glasses. And as we come into this place holding, as it were, our hearts of worship, we come eager and anticipating to give God the glory that he deserves. I get that idea from Revelation 15 here. With the musician, with his hands on the instrument, ready to play. See, a guitar on a stand does not have the same anticipation as one that is strapped on to the musician. And these victors have picked up their hearts of praise and they are prepped in anticipation to break out in praise of our Almighty God. See, victory brings beauty and victory brings worship and it brings relief from our effort and victory does bring the praise of God's people. The victory song in verse in the second part of verse 3 going on to verse 4 is not based upon what we have accomplished. The victory song is rooted in what God has done. If I look at these verses in the middle of chapter 15, I read about your deeds, your ways, your name. I worship you and your righteous acts. Notice the worship is not in what we have accomplished, but in what God has done. And there comes a time when the exuberance of the finish line <coughs> excuse me, gives way to the decorum of the podium. I've been in stadiums where when the final buzzer rings or the final tape is broken, oh, there's great exuberance in the victory. But then the victors take the podium and see the reward and the decorum and to respect. And I believe we have crossed the line and we are victorious and we are in God's presence. And then we pick up our hearts and we stand in respect for Almighty God and we give him reverence and there's a decorum of God has done something that deserves our praise. Which then tells me the decorum is in verses 5 through 8. A stillness that happens. All of the high-fiving has gone away. As there is stillness before the throne. It's a recognition that although our personal struggles of all the saints have been completed, <coughs> God's final act of righteousness over wickedness is just beginning. And it's a serious and it's a somber event as his wrath is poured out on sin. The song of Moses is mentioned in verse 3 because Moses told the people in Exodus 14, stand firm and see the deliverance of your God. And I think the picture here is as we have finish our earthly journey we are standing in heaven and we are told stand still 
and see the mighty hand of God. Let's play this next clip. Finality to these bowls of wrath. 
they may seem the same as the um, trumpets because it starts with humanity and then goes to the salt water, then goes to the sea, to the fresh water, then goes to the planets. And we see the same progression here in chapter 16. In verse 2, the creation experienced sores, oozing lesions would have been associated with pandemics, such as the boils in Egypt. And oozing sores, such as leprosy, indicated that one must be cut off from the worshiping community. A person with an open sore was not allowed to worship in the temple. And so as these sores appear upon those who oppose God, we see that these are those who are outside of, these are eliminated from the worshiping community. Verse 3 tells us that the, God's wrath is poured out upon the seas. The death that started with the trumpet is one-third. And now we see completion. The other two-thirds, all of the seas, all died because of this wrath that is poured out upon the salt water, upon the seas. Verse 4 tells us about the springs, the fresh water. And we see in verse 6 of chapter 16 that because they drank the blood of the prophets, now they will have to drink blood. It's a poetic way of saying they're getting what they deserve for opposing the people of God. Look at the phrase there in verse 6, at the very end of the verse. They deserve it. It suggests an important literary, literary and theological point. The perspective of revelation towards those who rebel against the Lord is not at all sympathetic. We don't feel sorry for those who oppose God. They are now getting what they deserve. They are seldom pictured as the beneficiaries of evangelism. Now is our time to share the gospel. We don't hope that somehow they might turn to the gospel during the Great Tribulation. Now is our time to share the gospel. Now is our time to call people to align with God's side and not to oppose him. And then we see in verses 8 and 9 that this fourth bowl of wrath is poured out against the against the planets, against the sun, the moon, and the stars. In the fourth trumpet, we saw that they lost a third of the solar energy. And now the heat is magnified on the earth without water available to mediate the effects of the heat. And this scorching of the people, notice it does not bring repentance. As the people are scorched, they cry out and they curse God. After these four bowls of wrath upon creation, then we see the wrath of God poured out upon the beast, the one who tempted man's rebellion. Verses 10 and 11, we read about Satan's kingdom receiving wrath. Any shine 
any glory that the beast had in the past in ruling over his people is now totally removed. And rather than being something that is attractive and looks good, now we see his approval rating drops so that even the most supportive of the media can no longer prop him up. All of the darkness falls upon the empire of the beast. Verse 11 tells us that things turn bad, but people still won't blame the beast who is behind it all. <clears throat> the people rightfully acknowledge that this downturn in the world is from the hand of God. It is God who is pouring out wrath upon Satan and upon his dominion. It is God who has poured out wrath upon his creation who has rebelled against him. And now he is pouring it out against the one who led the rebellion. Verses 12 to 14 tell us not about Satan, but tells us about Satan's spirits. The unholy triad that we observed last week now releases demons from the east side of Euphrates. World politics and geography would indicate to us that the conflict between Iran, which is east of the Euphrates, and Israel is not going away anytime soon. For here we have the picture in chapter 16 that the enemy from the other side of the Euphrates, the Iranians, are now marching towards Israel. These kings from the east act not at the command of the beast of the false prophet, but now they are acting at the command of the unholy triad. Many times, conflict is not a matter of human diplomacy. It is the act of a spiritual warfare. And the book of Revelation chapter 16 tells us there will be a spiritual invasion against the people of God that we see here prophesied in verses 12 to 14. And then verses 16 to 21 tells us about the soldiers of Satan's army. I, I, I believe verses 19 and 20 is a picture for us of the damage that mankind will do to each other. In verse 21 becomes God's exclamation point at the end of the story. After man has turned against man, we get to verse 21, and they all come together in the valley of Megiddo in the battle of Armageddon, and it becomes an exclamation point. Like Israel in the Exodus, God's people will again triumph. The certainty of our new redemption is rooted in our confidence in the old redemption. We can take joy when we sing the song of Moses because God redeemed his people. Then we have the exact same confidence that God will redeem his people in the future. 
for John, the song of Moses and of the Lamb were not two separate songs. As if the Old Testament redemption and New Testament redemption were discontinuous or incompatible ideas. Jesus as the Lamb has provided the climactic act of redemption. Jesus, akin to the Paschal Lamb of the first Exodus. So the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb is the same song. It's the song that God is victorious over his enemies. See, I'm not here today to scare you into heaven. I want to be faithful to declare that a just God cannot ignore sin. <coughs> God never acts capriciously. His wrath is exercised only when his justice is offended. And because we as humanity have offended the justice of God, he is absolutely righteous in pouring out wrath against rebellion. Now many people today do not like to talk about divine judgment. In their view, that's not what God is for. But Santa Claus theology cannot cope with the reality of evil or seemingly senseless suffering. To make God kind but never firm as many progressive theologians have done is to deny his omnipotence and his lordship over a world full of suffering. And so my call for you today is to realize that God is a God of patience, but God is a God of justice, and eventually those who oppose God, who seem to be winning, will be defeated, and those who stand with God will stand in victory. And my call to you today is to align yourself with the God of victory rather than the God of comfort. And as we each align ourselves with the God of victory through the blood of Jesus Christ, we will overcome them through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Our final song this morning is a call for you to stand on the right side. It's a reminder that faith is the victory.